0: You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, The Burning Heart of Evangelism, recorded on June thirtieth, two 2019. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, hello, Harvest Community Church. My name is Mike. I say that for the benefit of first-time visitors, hopefully, If you're regularly here, you remember who I am. Uh, We are one church in four locations, so whether you're seeing me in Indiana, Pennsylvania, or the beautiful Petroleum Valley, or right here, or even in jail, welcome. Welcome. Um, We are up to the second of Ten Commandments. Now, you might have heard that the first copy of the Ten Commandments did not fare well. They did not uh, survive for very long. Um, If you remember right, Moses went up on the mountain to talk to God. And God said, look, I'm going to write some laws down for you. He gives tablets to Moses. And Moses comes comes down the mountain. And when he comes down, he finds something he didn't expect. Because here's what's hap- what happened. When he was up on the mountain, he stayed like 40 days. And the people started to panic. They panic because their leader wasn't there. And get this, they said, since our leader isn't here, he's up there on the mountain with God, maybe he's gone. And we have no God. So they put their gold together and they made a golden calf. And they said, this calf is the God who took us out of Egypt. So they assigned uh, the the attributes of the real God and the actions of the real God to something they made with their hands. And then they started to just get freaky. They had an orgy and they they worshipped that God and they got drunk. And so Moses is coming down the mountain with the tablets from the true God and he hears this noise, and he sees the people, and frankly, he had a weak moment. He lost his temper, and he threw the tablets down. It's hard to imagine that God gives you a gift, and you throw it to the ground, a physical gift like that, but he did, and I guess um, only he knows what it feels like to be a prophet of God and, uh, and to go through that. So um, the tablets were gone. The Bible tells us Moses would have to go back up again, and God would rewrite the tablets. God's very patient. But had those tablets not been broken, (laughs) uh, the second commandment on those tablets would have condemned the people for making the calf in the first place. So that's where we're up to, the second commandment. It's kind of odd that the people disobeyed it. (laughs) They disobeyed the second commandment as it was being written. Um, So, well, I'm not going to pick on Israel right now. Let's read the text. It's Exodus chapter 20, verse 4 to 6. Exodus 20, 4 to 6. You can open that up in your smartphone or your paper Bible or whatever you use. If you've memorized the entire Bible, just open it in your mind. Ready? Exodus 20, verse 4 to 6. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath. Or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them. You shall not serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. right, there's the second commandment. <clears throat> I'd like to uh, highlight three truths from this commandment. First, inventing God is forbidden. To, what's being forbidden in the second commandment is 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 inventing a God of your own. It's exactly what the Israelites did. They invented a God of their own when, when Moses was gone, and that is forbidden. The issue is not art. Uh, it's false gods. There are... Uh, He says, don't make any image of of an animal or anything in the sky or anything on the ground or under the ground or in the water. So um, there are Christians who take this to an extreme and say, well, you can't even have a cross on your building because that's a graven image and you can't paint pictures and you can't draw pictures of anything. And um, fortunately, there's not too many Christians like that because God is not forbidding art. He's forbidding the invention of God's. God would even gift a man named Bezalel um, to make the Ark of the Covenant and to make beautiful cherubim or angels on top of it and other designs. So um, God doesn't mind art or even representations of animals and things. He doesn't want them to be worshipped. So it's about gods. In India, I've seen with my eyes, remarkably, I didn't expect to see this, People worshiping a cow, all right? Uh, uh, no, I shouldn't say that. You expect cows. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but an actual statue of a cow. I mean, they have cows walking in the street. And I'm not going to get into Hinduism, but they respect those cows a lot. So maybe they worship those cows. But there was actually a, a little bitty statue of a cow. And people were women, beautifully dressed, or putting flowers on it and stuff like that. It, it, it freaks out. When I was in Indonesia, I saw people taking food and setting it down on little trays in front of gods that they put outside of their homes and businesses. And every morning they go out and feed them. And these gods are ugly. They're made of cement. They have like scary monster faces. And, um, And I also went down the streets there in Indonesia and saw that you could buy those gods. Um, so, you know, there's a market and this guy's got all these, you know, in America, they have all these cement statues that you can buy for your garden and uh, maybe fountain art and all that stuff. But there they had just a bunch of ugly gods and you could buy your own god. And I guess you take, take your god home and he's made out of cement. In Thailand, um, I saw flower markets that were like, <laughs> like an acre or two of flowers, beautiful flowers um, with no space in between them. Flowers on top of flowers, all the colors. Uh, if you love flowers, you'd love to see the flower market in Bangkok. And all of those flowers were there so the people could come and buy wreaths of these flowers and take them and hang them on a, a Buddha statue as a way of doing worship. All these things uh, are forbidden. This is what God's talking about here in the second commandment. No carving your own gods. It's that simple. Hopefully none of you have carved a God lately or have made something you're worshiping because that is forbidden. Why? Because God is who he says he is. We don't get to invent him. No. Part of me wants to take that rabbit trail, <laughs> but I'm going to not. But, but I will maybe parenthetically point out that a lot of people invent gods who don't carve him, them with their hands. They make up God in the image they want Him to be. Um, but that's another sermon. We're going to stick with the second commandment here. Second thing, truth to note, is God hates being ignored or misrepresented. This is not often thought of about God. Often we think of God as some sort of pathetic figure waiting to be loved. Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart won't you let him in? You know, people say, hey, you've tried everything. Now try Jesus. Jesus is longing to save you. Well, I'm not saying he's not longing to save you. But what the second commandment tells us is he hates being ignored. God hates to be ignored by human beings and he hates being misrepresented by human beings. He is not and I leave you alone, you leave me alone kind of God. He says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. The reason you should not bow down to the, the, those false gods or serve them is he says, because I, the Lord, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. His His emotions towards you worshiping a God that is not him are, are fiery. They're fiery. Now look, when we say jealous God, I don't want to misunderstand. We humans get jealous. And most of the time, not all, but let's say 95% of the time, our jealousy is sinful. It's sinful. We are petty creatures. We're competitive. We're insecure. We're resentful. We're worried that someone loves someone else more than us. And, um, and so most of the time, our jealousy is, is, is immature and sinful and controlling Um, uh, young ladies and young men, just a little side note here don't don't marry a jealous man or a jealous woman. If they can't get over being jealous and trusting you, uh, you will not like being married to them because they'll try to control you and they'll worry about you and they'll always need reassurance and it won't be pretty. Our jealousy is sinful but God's jealousy is not that way. God's jealousy is perfect. He knows who should love who and why. He knows what love will do. God is worthy of all the love of all humans. You should love me, is what God says. You should love me. Now, this is not him being insecure and needing our love. He doesn't need our love. But in the the reality of truth of who he is, and that he made you, you should love him. And not only that, it's to every human's benefit to love him. He He cares about me, so he wants me to worship him. I will be happier if I worship him. For Why? Because he's the happiest thing. Worship is enjoying God in a way, and he's the most enjoyable thing. right? If, if you love me, you might say, why don't you go to this movie with me? And you think, you like the movie, so I'll like the movie. Come watch this movie, and you will enjoy it. You say that to me, hopefully, because you're my friend, and you, you love me. God is saying, the most enjoyable thing is me, worship me. So it's to my benefit, but he's also the only one worthy of worship. Worshiping God is the only correct response to him for a human. In other words, if a human being made in the image of God does not worship God, he is responding to... Incorrectly to God. There's people who say, Well, I ain't gonna worship him. I never did nothing. He never did nothing for me. I ain't doing nothing for him. Or I ignore him. He ignores me. That's not acceptable to God. It's a slight. And he will not tolerate that slight forever. Look, it's wrong for children to dishonor and disrespect their good parents. If a child casts off his good parents and treats them poorly, it's a disgrace. And it's a disgrace if parents do the same to their children. It's worse for a human to reject their maker. And idols, when you make an idol and you carve it, and then you worship it, you're rejecting God. And we're not to do that. Okay, third truth is God is merciful. God is merciful. There's a text in here that some people stumble over, and I just want to deal with it. God visits wrath on those who hate him. If you hate God, now, we all hate God. We all naturally hate God. We all have sin. So, uh, But God mercifully gives us a chance to repent and turn to him. But if you refuse, and you say, I'm just going to hate God forever. I'm not going to obey him. I'm not going to worship him. Then yes, he will put his wrath on you. But he gives everlasting kindness to those who turn to him. And those who turn to him are his enemies. So he's, his kindness is greater than his wrath. His mercy and his love is greater than his anger. His, his affection is greater than his punishment. We humans don't forgive well. Now we forgive, we do forgive, and humans will forgive one another very often, um, not always, but often, but even so, if 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 I have to keep forgiving you, after a while, in my mind, I did forgive you, but I didn't forget it, I didn't forget what you said, and and I'm trying to not be hurt by it, because it was really bad, but I forgive you, you know, that's how we can be, right? Or someone can offend you to the point you say, no, I'm done, I'm not forgiving you. God loves with endless forgiveness. He washes away. Uh, You can hate God your whole life. You can curse him. You can worship other gods. You can do everything to destroy him. And then, which by the way, you'll fail. When you turn to him, you'll find mercy. Here's the text that's controversial to some, but it shouldn't be. You shall not bow down to them, those are idols, and serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Now, there's people who read that and say, that's a curse on the generation. God will curse your son because of your sin. God will curse your daughter because of your sin. God will curse your grandchildren because of your sin. And maybe somebody has bad things happen and they say, God is cursing me because of my grandfather. God does not curse you because of your father. He does not curse you because of your grandfather. He does not punish you for the sins of your father. He doesn't punish you for the sins of your grandfather or grandmother. Exodus, or excuse me, Ezekiel makes this clear. For the sake of time, I'm not going to go there. But it says that if a man is sinful and his son repents of sin, God will bless the son and won't hold the father's sin against him. So, what is this text saying when it says? that God visits the iniquity of the fathers on the, on the children of, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. He's saying he, he visits wrath, if you will, on those who hate him. Then what's the thing about third and fourth generation? It shows the natural pattern of sin. If I worship idols, I'm likely to encourage my son to worship idols and his son to worship idols. <laughs> If I do evil, I'm setting an example of evil for those for my children and my grandchildren. And if we all together, you can imagine four generations of people worshiping a false God, not loving God, and they all hate God. God says, look, (laughs) you will feel my anger. He says, but he shows steadfast love to thousands of those who love him and keep his commandments. So you turn from that sin. And he, he's, he's contrasting the number three or four with the number thousands, right? So, so he's saying, my anger, my wrath, my punishment is three or four. <laughs> my love is thousands. It's very important for you to remember, by the way, Christian, you've been forgiven so many sins, and the devil always wants you to condemn yourself to remember what you've done. But for every sin you feel guilty about, multiply it by a thousand. And say, God has forgiven me a thousand times over. His love is a thousand times more. And every time the Satan makes you feel condemned for the sin, two sins you've done, or three sins you've done, or four sins you've done, multiply it by thousands. That's what God is saying. Um, as we continue with the Ten Commandments, we're going to see it is impossible, as I mentioned, to keep them. We do depend on the merciful love of God. Forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ alone. And it is an abomination to substitute worship of false gods. But God gives mercy to us. Ultimately, God needs no graven images. Why? Here's a freaky idea that's in the Bible. What on earth will best reflect the image of God. What on earth? Uh, you trying to draw a picture of Jesus? Somebody making a lion and saying, God is like a lion? <laughs> a monster face, a Buddha? I never got with a Buddha. Why, can't, why does he have to be overweight? Was the first Buddha really fat? But Buddha, does that... Well, Buddha actually is closest. You say, wait a minute, we're not Buddhists, are we? Uh, no. But Buddha is a man. (laughs) What best reflects the image of God is a human. A human. You do. God made us all in His image. He does not want us making art and saying, that's God. In fact, can I read you this glorious passage from Romans? It says to you, Christian, we know that God causes all things to work together for good in your life to you who are called according to his purpose. And then in verse 29, this is the verse. He said, those he foreknew, that means the people he, he, he had as friends even before they were born. He loved you before you were born. He predestined you to something. What? To be conformed to the image of his son. He, Your spirit is being made into the image and righteousness of the holy God. God is building that in you. So if you would carve a monster and say, that's God. You have insulted his glory. You've insulted humanity. You've definitely insulted Jesus Christ and all that he's done for you. He predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. Well, I'll let you think on that. Um, Two practical matters only. Because you might be thinking, well, look, I don't carve idols. and Idols aren't really a big thing in America. You're correct. They're not a big thing in America. Um, There's not a lot of people carving things and worshiping things. How is this practical? I want to give you two ways. One, religious art. (laughs) Religious art is a subject. So this is in our map. Religious art is not forbidden, but. We must be careful how we use religious art. All my life there's been religious art. I was raised Catholic. And by the way, some people think I pick on Catholicism uh, because I talk about it. I talk about it because it's such a such a big part of my life experience. And it's probably true I pick on it to the sense, I'm not saying that there's no Christians in Catholicism. What I am saying is there are a lot of errors in Catholicism, and I if it's relevant, I'll point them out. There are a lot of errors in a Protestant church too, and I don't mind pointing them out. So please don't take that personally. But I grew up with a lot of religious art. Jesus was on crosses above my grandmother's beds, hanging there, and um, (laughs) there was this real freaky picture of Jesus up in the in the garage. And I say freaky because it was frightening and. I I I don't know if 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 my Catholic upbringers were trying to scare the crud out of us because you'd see pictures of Jesus and his heart was coming out of his chest on fire with thorns in it. If that doesn't freak you out, nothing will. But there was these pictures of of Jesus looking up and he had bloodshot eyes and he had all these thorns in his head and he's like, scary. (laughs) How? What is the role of Christian art? Is it wrong to paint pictures of the crucifixion? Or in my office, I have a picture of um, a boat, and it, uh, presumably it's Jesus on the boat. There's nothing that says it is, but I'm sure it is, because the words underneath said he, he stills the storm. So he's standing on a boat doing this. He's got a white robe on, right? Right? I never knew why he always stuck with white. um, But he kept it remarkably clean in all the pictures and the movies. So, you know, the other guys wore brown. They were a little more practical, but they were messier. I mean, you don't think when Jesus ate, he didn't slobber all over his shirt. But Peter, you knew Peter was slobbering on his shirt. He was getting mustard and stuff on there. But Jesus could wear white. In all the pictures, Jesus wears white. So I just figure that's his color. Well, that's silly. (laughs) But I do have that picture in my office where Jesus is wearing white. Stop in the storm. Apostles are like, what? What is the role? You know, nobody knows what God the Father looks like. The Bible says it right in First Chapter John. It says, no one has seen God at any time. Moses said, I'd like a glimpse of you. and God said, no. Get in the cleft of the rock and I'll show you something, but you ain't gonna see my face. And I think it's good because if someone... Saw Jesus and then, or the Father and tried to paint him. We might worship that painting. But you know what? The image of Jesus is actually walking around. If people had cameras back then, they could have snapped a few Polaroids. Wait, I dated myself. They could have pulled out their iPhone and grabbed some portrait mode. Maybe some slow-mo movie. Cause <laughs> there's a cool slow-mo on there. Could you see Jesus doing slow-mo feeding the 5,000? You're like, watch, see if you can see the extra fish come, you know. But there's no pictures of Jesus. His face is lost to history. I think that's good too. Because people would worship the picture. You say, no, they wouldn't. <laughs> you know <laughs> that, that, that people have found the picture of Jesus on a potato chip and made national news. Also in the shape, not, I'm not kidding, of a Cheeto. On a fish stick. And my favorite being in the Pittsburgh area, Jesus' face on a pierogi. Um, And if you think I'm making that up, look it up yourself. It sold for $1,775 on eBay. Somebody paid someone $1,775 for one pierogi because they thought Jesus' face was on it. Now, now you tell me if there was a photograph of Jesus. Look at the Shroud of Turin. There's no reason to think that thing's true. And there's people, I know, I'm going to get it. I saw a seminar. I don't care. (laughs) I don't know if he had a shroud. I know he woke up pretty fast and he folded his face cloth in one spot and he folded his other claws in another spot. Maybe Johnny Turin went in and sewed them together. I don't know. But people want to look at that. There's his face. This is a good example because the shroud of Turin, if you haven't heard of it, is supposed to be the burial cloth of Christ and his face is imprinted on it because he shot through it like light and people want to know, is it true? Is it not true? And they do seminars. Do you know what the true answer is? It doesn't matter. Burn it. You might say, this could have touched Christ. Burn it twice. Take the ashes and sprinkle them and burn what you sprinkled them on. The worst possible thing (laughs) could be you having a face imprint of Christ because people will worship it and God doesn't want that. You know, one time in the history of Israel, God told Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole out of bronze. The reason why is the Hebrews were acting a fool again, not obeying their God. So God sent a bunch of snakes to bite them and kill them. Killing, biting snakes. You don't want that. So the people cried out, Moses, save us. So God said, make a snake, put it on a pole. That's still the international symbol, by the way, of medicine. And the people would look on that snake and be healed. (laughs) Wild, right? And by the way, by the way, John would later tell us, the apostle John, that Jesus said that he was going to be lifted up on a pole just like the snake, and all who looked on him would be saved. And and that that was a picture of the Christ. That was a picture of the Christ. God, Son, without sin, hang on a pole, and all of us burdened with guilt and sin could look on him and be saved. And by the way, that's your hope today. Salvation doesn't come by keeping the Ten Commandments. It comes because he kept the Ten Commandments, and he died in your place. You, know, you ever know what happened to that snake on a pole? You won't find it on eBay. Indiana Jones will never find it. Because what happened was, a few centuries later, the Jews, some of the Jews said, look, we still have this snake, and they were worshiping the snake. So God had them crush it up. So if there is a shroud of Turin, burn it. If it's him, <laughs> I don't want to know. say, what? Is that really? Look, the Bible gives a non-description of Jesus in Isaiah 53. (laughs) Listen to this. It says, for Jesus, it says he, because it's Old Testament. It's about the Messiah, but we know it's Jesus. For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. Meaning he was not the most handsome dude. We have no reason to think he was the most ugly dude. He was probably your average dude. And he had no beauty that we should desire him. He would not have been elected prom king, at least not based on looks. Based on some wild things he could do, probably. You know, let's elect him. We'll never run out of lunch. But <laughs> he wouldn't have made it based on his looks. Whatever he looked like, he didn't stand out in a crowd. I tell my wife all the time, he's a Jew, he looked like Woody Allen and she gets insulted, I don't know why. It's good that we don't know what he looks like because we would idolize not him but his picture and it would be wrong, why? <laughs> Jesus is much more than what he looks like. He's the son of God. Any thing you make as an idol and say, this is what God is like, is going to be way short of the mark. Plus, Kevin DeYoung, in his book on the Ten Commandments, has this sentence, which I think is very good observation. He says, in the Bible, especially on this side of heaven, we see by hearing. Kevin DeYoung says, we see Jesus. How? By hearing. Right? You see him by hearing. Well, how can that be? Well, the Bible says... So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Jesus himself said to to Thomas, he says, blessed are you. You see me and believe. Blessed are those who don't see me. The majority of people who believe in Christ throughout history, not even close to majority, it's almost everyone with a small group of people, as the exception, never saw him. Never saw him. We're saved by faith, not by seeing. What we do see, we see by hearing, is how DeYoung puts it. Faith comes by hearing. How did you get saved? It, it really is because someone declared to you the name of Christ, and the Holy Spirit showed you Christ. Someone declared to you the works of Christ, and, and the Holy Spirit showed you Christ. You didn't see him. Faith comes. Back. A little boy was drawing a picture of God in Sunday school, and her teacher stopped him and said, hey, no one knows what God looks like. Stop it. The boy said, no, but they will when I'm finished. <laughs> um, but <laughs> he, was, he was ambitious, but he was wrong. We've not seen God. We have no picture of him. We have no picture of Jesus. We walk by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, what does that mean about religious art? Okay, we can create it, but we have to be very careful how we use it, how we treat it, how we present it to kids. When I was at First Baptist Church in Union, New Jersey years ago, there was this picture of like Jesus and the Samaritan woman, and it was sacred. How sacred? First, it didn't look that good. Now, if anyone from First Baptist is hearing me say this, um, well I guess I'm just being rude <laughs> I don't know how I apologize for this but I gotta tell you the truth it was the ugliest picture ever and, and it was on this wall and one time I said to somebody let's get rid of that picture and, and it was like I said let's stop being Christians they're like that picture's been there ever since somebody so and so grandma gave it to the church and that's a picture of Jesus and I'm like let's get rid of it it's ugly it's stupid looking but it was sacrilege and these are Protestants, Baptists, they were, saying they only, they only believe uh, the Bible. But they were, without realizing it, breaking the second commandment, treating a relic, it was a relic, a painting, as sacred. We create art because we're made in the image of God, and there's nothing wrong with that. The Roman Catholic habit of kneeling before Mary when my sister-in-law gets married. Now, if my sister-in-law is hearing this, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Kate, but you know me enough to know what I think. So, <laughs> she she's a beautiful young lady in her wedding dress, kneeling in front of what a statue of Mary. That's just wrong. There's you no know, that's breaking the second commandment. You say, like, well, she doesn't see that, that statue as a, as a goddess or anything, she's kneeling in her wedding dress in front of a statue Why someone sings Ave Maria. It's just not right. To use statues is dangerous. To use rosary beads with a cross. I'm not saying every heart that uses these things sins. I'm saying that's very dangerous. People will begin to, to have a crucifix or a, or a in Christopher Metal. They think this thing, uh, it brings me luck. <laughs> I don't care if a ranger's freeze as long as I got my plastic Jesus riding on the dashboard of my car. Well, that won't help you either. <laughs> Eastern Orthodox which is the other Catholics, they use what they call icons which are pictures of saints to aid in worship. Not good. You don't need a picture and you don't need a statue. In fact, they will get in your way. If you're using them to help you worship, tear them down. If a picture in my office has to come into my mind to help me see how great Jesus is when he said, still the waters, then I need to burn the picture. If it reminds me of the glory of Christ, fine. But if I'm depending on it to worship, it's got to go. Now, when it comes to kids, (laughs) um, it's good to use cartoons and pictures, pictures of Jesus and the Bible stories. That's fine. It really is fine in books and picture Bibles, but it's not okay if it's absent, the grown-up giving that to them, teaching them, that's not really what Jesus looked like. You got to say it out loud. That's not really him. You'll notice he looks different in every picture Bible. (laughs) Why? Because we don't know what he looks like. And a kid is smart enough to understand that. You don't have to go further. You don't have to remove all the the pictures of Jesus. Thank God he doesn't look like all those felt board guys. But in any case, and he wore, I think he wore the same colors as everybody else, which was probably brown. You know, they probably wore a lot of brown. They weren't, you know. Indigo was hard to come by. And, um, but maybe they all wore, you know, <laughs> cause in the pictures of Jesus, he's always wearing white and the other dudes are wearing colors. Why? It's just, it's like a name tag. So you know who the Messiah is. And the pictures of Jesus are problematic. He often looks like a German with the blonde hair and. <laughs> anyway, let me move on. You got the point. Second practical. Application here is believers have a duty to defend the truth of God in every place where he is not worshiped. The principle that god uh, he 's angry at false worship he 's not passive about people who do not worship he 's jealous and and those who who worship him with idols he 's angry we 're his children. We have a duty to go wherever he is not worshipped and declare him I was visiting a holy temple in Chiang Mai. And the Buddhas, there's just tons of golden Buddhas up there, right? All over the place. And rooms with, with uh, Buddhist monks in them who will bless you. And and um, Buddhas everywhere. And all these steps you got to go to get to the top. Because Buddha don't like the handicapped, apparently. <laughs> they ain't never getting to the top of all those steps. But, but you go up there and, and all these people, Japanese people in business suits, people from all around the world come to Chiang Mai to walk around and pay their dues and give their money or whatever. Oh, well, it always comes down to money, you know that. It had a profound effect on me. I wanted to mock them. At one point, I sat down next to a fat Buddha having very much a physique like his, perhaps at a lesser stage, (laughs) I lifted up my shirt and went, and was quickly and wisely told, don't do that! (laughs) Don't do that, you're going to get beat up or even killed. You don't mock the Buddha. I I had no respect. (laughs) Worse, in India, I went to a Hare Krishna temple. I thought the Hare Krishna guys were we're friendly people with flowers who sang Beatles songs. How wrong was I? Man, it was the creepiest experience of my life. Even thinking of it is horrible. Creepy, angry, sharp toothed paintings of, of the divine on the ceiling of their stupid temple. And in hell and 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 pathetic worshippers foolishly, fearfully hoping. I don't know, something good was going to happen to him. It was just horrible. I hated it. wanted to burn it down, <laughs> which would, again, gotten me probably beaten up and killed before I got arrested. I don't think I'll ever go to a temple of a false god again unless I'm ready to to die for it because I cannot stand watching people reverence monkey statues. And I saw that statue of a monkey. <laughs> Some guy all the way... Spread eagle on the ground. It just just makes me angry. People worshiping monsters, carvings. I want to desecrate false gods. I want to be clear about that. I have no respect for false gods. I have zero respect. I want to tell the worshippers, Stop it! (laughs) Serve the true God! And I don't think I can control myself a third time. And it's the very thing my hosts warned me against doing (laughs) unless I wanted to die that day. And yes, it's that serious. It is that serious. You'll go to jail or you will die. Now, modern man in America would say to me, you Christians aren't any better. You worship an imaginary God, a spaghetti monster in the sky, someone you cannot see. Therefore, you Christians should have a great deal of respect for the cultures of others. Your mission efforts are unethical attacks. Can't you do what you do and respect what they do without attacking their culture? And I say to them, the only proper emotional response by a human being to seeing false worship is to be angry or disturbed or saddened, not respect. They anger at Satan. These people are in bondage. They They are... Sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. They need free from their sin. God has revealed His Son. And the Hindus know that. The Muslims know that. The Buddhists know that. Still, they turn people to false worship. Do we not have a desire to defend the honor of God? What does that mean? It means evangelism and missions. We have to crash the gates of hell with the name of Jesus in our city, in our family, in our town, and anywhere in the world where we can get to to do it. We've got to bring the gospel for the sake of the name of Jesus. It is not just a nice thing we can add on to church. It's our duty. We are his children. There's no one else going to do it. We stand up for his name. If a wife is out in public... And horrible men are pursuing her, flirting with her, seeking to entice her away from her beloved husband. Should not her children who are there defend her honor? How much more should we defend the honor of God? When Paul was in Greece, waiting, he was waiting for some friends. What are you going to do? You know, you're chilling in Greece. It's the first century, you got nothing to do. He didn't have an iPhone. Might have been playing some Minecraft or something, but nope. Didn't have newspapers. So he's looking around, and guess what he sees? False gods. Here's what the Bible says about Paul. It says, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. And he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons. He saw the idols, and it caused him to do what? What? Run and talk to the people. Hey, Jews, you're not messing with that stuff, are you? Because the truth is in your Bible, and the Christ has come. But not just the Jews. It says, and he was in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. <laughs> He's like, if <laughs> you see all these idols? Yeah. Well, let me tell you who God is to anyone who would listen. You see, Paul was provoked, he says, in his spirit by false gods, <laughs> Moses threw the tablets down. And you're not going to find outside of Jesus a more meek and holy man than Moses and his own anger boiled over and he broke perhaps the most precious physical objects he'd ever had. Something given to him by the hand of God. Why? Because he saw his people worshiping a false god and he's like, no! Paul wasn't that much different. We are to respond to a world that breaks the second commandment by preaching the gospel, declaring Jesus Christ. The God you cannot see. The God for which I have no pictures and no statue. He has come to earth, and you know what he looked like? He looked like one of us. And that's all you get. But he loved. He loved. He died. And he rose again. And he'll forgive your sins And let's crush these statues. (laughs) Or make them into ashtrays. (sighs) Toilets. Toilets. Buddha as a toilet. I'm telling you, I'm going to get killed. You can see why I can't go to these places. We must do everything we can to reach the nations. God has no other plan than us. Someone else will do it. Who? Who? if it's not people in a local church somewhere, no one will do it. This is why we support as many missionaries as we can afford. We raise up our own and send them out, and they're over there going, I don't know if I'm doing any good sometime, because they're humans. But it's worth every bit of trial because they're standing and fighting for the honor of the name of Christ. And it's worth every dime you send them. Because otherwise you're just spending it at sheets like me. Does God look passively? Does God coexist? (laughs) Coexist with the Muslims? Does he coexist with, and I don't mean Muslims, is he up there with with Allah? Hey Allah, how's it going? And Buddha? Buddha, you're chilling with me. No. Has he got the million Hindu gods? The monkey god? The rat god? The God in the shape of Oprah? <laughs> that's an American God. Is he, is he looking passively? Because I think that's what the church does. They say, well, they're not hurting me. We'll let them do what they do. I don't care. And we think it's not a big deal. He is jealous and motivated by love. It's not okay that people worship monkeys. It's not all right that Bali is covered with cement gods. It's wrong. It's bad. It's wicked on the earth. It's not okay that a billion people think Muhammad is a prophet. He is not, and Allah is not God. It's not okay that people wash themselves in the Ganges River or go to sweat huts out in the desert to find the Indian God. American Indian that was. It's not okay to say, there is no God. We are here to declare that Jesus is the Son of God. This is a constant, constant outflowing of the second commandment. (laughs) All these, because every other God is invented and must be destroyed. Now we don't destroy him by war we don't destroy him by killing or violence in fact we physically get destroyed when we fight them but we destroy him by declaring the name of christ and one day he will come and he'll take care of the rest do you want to know god seek jesus by faith leave off everything else jesus is the son of god you say well i want to see god i don't want to see jesus Colossians says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Let us seek him, let us worship him, and let us bring him to the nations. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.